0: now that i've titled honoring the holy one with what you have we're going to be in luke chapter 19 so if you have a bible nearby maybe you've just got a cell phone or a device that you can swipe or tap to uh, whatever that looks like for you we'd ask that you would join us in luke chapter 19 it'll be helpful to you as we kind of follow along with god's word and see what he's saying to us in this passage today let me just begin by sharing a little bit of uh, kind of what one of my coworkers told me about this past week where uh, he and his family were gathering around there in much the same situation that we are. Their church is providing a live stream service and so for the first time, you know, last week they kind of just watched the video later in the day. They decided they were going to actually get up, get ready and enjoy the live stream in person this week and so they did that. They got ready, they were set up, they uh he and his wife were on the couch while their two-year-old sweet little daughter was playing nearby. So, you know, a little ways into the service, the pastor had begun his preaching. They're kind of much in the same sort of time frame that you're in right now as you watch this live stream. That Their two, little two-year-old daughter climbed up in the, in the space in between her mom and dad. And my co-worker told me she just sat there and watched quietly for what must have been at least five minutes, maybe longer until finally she kind of looked up at her mother and said to her mother, Mommy, I don't like this movie. (laughs) Which, you know, I think a lot of us maybe have that same sort of sentiment when we think of the sort of situation that we're going through right now. I mean, some of you have got your own little ones at home. And maybe they're saying the exact same sorts of things as we go through these trials, as we live stream our services here. Thankfully, our children's director, Barbara Edwards, and our secretary, Ashley Hickok, they've been doing a wonderful job of providing a children's church digital alternative for our kids. Thanks so much to you two for what you're doing to get the word out about that. But if we're honest, I think we would all confess that there's just something about this whole experience of shutting down for COVID-19 that feels like we're stuck in a bad movie. Feels like we're stuck in something that we just don't like. We just don't enjoy. We're left to shelter in place. We're clear of our brothers and sisters in Christ that we long to see. Hopefully those pictures that you're sharing right now on social media are providing a way that we can see those individuals, but it's still not going to be quite the same. Our little ones, they can't come to class and spend time with their friends. We can't unite our voices in song, at least in a combined song. We can't be spurred on by Jerry Duncan's amens from the second row or Linda Baker's good mornings and welcomes from out in the lobby area. Even when we see one another in public, like we feel like we can't hug or shake hands or even get close enough to bump elbows anymore without feeling like we've sinned against our neighbors. And these are unique. These are trying times for us in the church. Times of separation. Times of pandemic. In that sense, it's hard to imagine how times could be any more different in the world that we encounter today from the world that we see Jesus in the midst of in Luke chapter 19 as we launch into verse 28 today. Because as Jesus entered Jerusalem for his last journey into that great city before his death, there seemed to be no one who was staying at home. No one was sheltering in place. They were all coming out to see him. And today's passage actually looks into that first Palm Sunday, that Sunday when Jesus entered into Jerusalem on his final trip into that great city where he would be crucified, where he would deal with the problem of sin, your problem, my problem. Jesus is making his final entrance into the city where that will take place on this holy week. And this is an episode that was so important that God actually divinely oversaw that it was provided in all four of the gospel accounts. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all mention This Palm Sunday, this triumphal entry of Jesus into the city of Jerusalem. And so God's trying to catch our attention. God's showing us this is something important. There are not many things that are recorded, not only in the synoptic gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but also in the gospel of John. But this, my friends, is one of those and this is an event that really matches with our calendar like if you were to pull up your calendar you would see that today is palm sunday so as we've been preaching through luke i had kind of a long-term goal that we would synchronize at this point where palm sunday on the calendar would match palm sunday as we came to that here in luke chapter 19 and it's called Palm Sunday because only in John's account of this actually there's an account in Matthew uh, there's, a, there's a mention of branches that were cut off but only in John's gospel is there a mention that those branches were actually palm branches which were cut and which were waved. These branches which represented the nation of Israel were waved and thrown into the streets as a way of honoring Jesus as the one who had come as Israel's Savior. And And John's gospel mentions those branches were cut down as people shouted, Hosanna and blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. On that date, which we now annually commemorate on the calendar as Palm Sunday, the beginning of Holy Week, the Sunday before Easter. And on our present calendar, that's what it is. It's Palm Sunday. There's only one week left until Easter in by God's grace, maybe we'll be able to do something special for Easter next week. I'm checking with some of the local authorities, have not yet heard back. I'm hoping we can pull out something a little bit different, but stay tuned. We'll get word out about that if it happens. Uh, but again, our Bibles, our calendar are synchronized today, but our situation simply is not. We're in a very different sort of situation here with the, the pandemic and the stay-at-home orders than people were in Jesus' day. On that first Palm Sunday, the crowds were running all over one another, in fact. No one was sheltering place. Jesus had recently restored sight to a blind beggar named Bartimaeus, as we saw earlier in Luke chapter 19. Then he had raised a dead man named Lazarus from the dead. That's not recorded in Luke's gospel, it's recorded over in John chapter 11. And all throughout his ministry, Jesus had been performing miracles. And as he performed those miracles, he had been convincing individuals that he was the long-awaited Messiah. The long-awaited, anointed king of Israel who would bring salvation to his people. Who would bring peace to them. And so everywhere Jesus went, people were catching interest. And the crowd of disciples that were following him continued to grow And grow. At times he would slip away or he would drop off of the grid because certain individuals were trying to seek his life and his time had not yet come. Well, now, when we come to Luke 19, starting verse 28, his time has come. There's no more hiding, there's no more holding back because Jesus is now ready to do what he had been destined to do, even from the time. When the crunch of the fruit was heard in Adam and Eve's mouth, Jesus was heading to this point where he would rescue the world through his work in Jerusalem. That's a journey that Jesus began back in Luke chapter 9, verse 51. So now for 10 chapters, we've been watching Jesus on his journey to this place that he now is ready to enter in our passage today. He's arrived in a time of Passover celebration. A huge crowd of disciples who have seen his power to do miracles is swarming around him as he finally arrives in this city where he will accomplish the rescue of the world. Now in Jerusalem, because it's the Passover season, there's already a huge crowd of individuals that are gathered there. They've gathered for that Passover celebration. That was one of three feasts, by the way, that the Jews required every male to attend. And so the celebration that was happening in this moment would have brought up to two million Jews together in that holy city. I mean, the place is packed out. And all throughout Jerusalem on that day, individuals were filled with excitement that their Messiah was entering his capital city to take his throne. Now, Matthew's gospel records that when Jesus had entered that city, all the city was stirred, saying, Who is this? You see, Jesus had captured the attention of the entire nation. And as he entered that city riding on a donkey's colt, they got the message. Jesus was fulfilling a prophecy which had actually been given in the Old Testament. In the the book of Zechariah, chapter 9, verse 9, we read, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Ziah. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey. Even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And so as the people saw this one whom they hoped would be their Messiah coming in on the donkey, they began to rejoice And they shouted out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. As they quoted another messianic piece of Old Testament history found in Psalm 118, verses 25 and 26. Where Hosanna, this word is really just a transliteration of the words which mean, save us we pray, in Hebrew. So the people are crying out, save us we pray, to the one whom they believe is now coming to be their king, their rescuer, their saviour. These large crowds have now gathered in Jerusalem and all the excitement is filled up such that people are seeking to honor the Savior as he comes into town. They cry out to him to be saved. And for just this brief little window, this brief little moment of time, Jesus is honored on earth as the Messiah that he truly is. Can you imagine what it would have been like to be in that crowd Now, unfortunately, many of those shouting these words had a misunderstanding of the nature of the rule that Jesus was coming to establish. They thought that he was immediately going to drive away their enemies. He was immediately going to rule with a rod of iron that would ultimately cause the Roman Empire to lose its authority over them. That would cause them to no longer be an oppressed people. When the reality was Jesus had something even greater than that. He was on his way to the cross. He was on the way to deal with the problems of sin and death and the grave. Jesus was going to conquer these foes before one day in the future. One day that we still wait for even now. Jesus would come again. Because he is coming again. We talked about that last Sunday. So people are confused, and that's why ultimately in the midst of this week they would turn on Jesus and they would begin to yell, crucify, crucify. But still here, if only for a single day, we see a glimpse of heaven on earth. Throngs of people gather around Jesus and they seek to honor him as the king that he truly is. And that's where I see a great connection with the people that are in the passage that we see here today and you and I, even in our stay-at-home lives right now. Now, many of us sincerely want to honor Jesus for the king that we know him to be. Like, that's, that's our desire. We want to find a way to honor him, knowing that he is king, knowing that he reigns. But we're not quite sure how to do that in the midst of these unique and trying and different circumstances. We know that he's the true rescuer. We know that he's the true king. We want to shout it from the rooftops, but with a chaotic world of COVID-19 noise and our society-protecting orders to stay at home, we're just not quite sure how we can honor Jesus in our present circumstances. Well, in today's passage, God draws our attention to some individuals who surely felt that same way. I mean, with so many people, with so much noise, with the crowd being so great, surely they must have wondered what they could do in this moment to honor Jesus without just kind of getting lost in the midst of it all. And in the end, we find them all honoring him with what they have. Let's look together at this passage, and hopefully you'll see a little bit of what I mean here. Luke chapter 19, starting in verse 28. If you're able, no matter where you are, I'm going to ask that you'd stand that we might honor the reading of God's word, we might cast out any other distractions as we focus in these moments on what God is saying to us through his word. Luke 19, starting in verse 28. After he, that is Jesus, said these things, he was going on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he approached Bethphage and Bethany near the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples saying, go into the village ahead of you. There... As you enter, you will find a colt tied on which no one yet has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? you shall say, The Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And they were untying, as they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, Why are you untying the colt? They said, the Lord has need of it. They brought it to Jesus, and they threw their coats on the colt and put Jesus on it. As he was going, they were spreading their coats on the road. As soon as he was approaching, near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles which they had seen, shouting, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But Jesus answered, I tell you, if these become silent, the stones will cry out. Here ends the reading of God's word. Take your seat back wherever you may be, assuming that's where you started out. In this passage, we encounter four different situations where someone or something or some group is finding a unique way to honor Jesus with what he or it or they have. And as Jesus prepares to enter Jerusalem, he sends two disciples ahead of him, and they're going to fetch a donkey, according to verses 29 through 35. Then Jesus mounts that donkey, or really a donkey's colt, so it's still a donkey. It's just a younger donkey. And he rides into Jerusalem, beginning in verse 36. And all around Jesus are people who want to honor him as the king who has truly come. They want to honor him for who he is and what he is doing. And like, I just wonder, is, is that your heart? Is that my heart today? Like, Do we really want to honor jesus is that still what you long to do in this moment as you are sheltering in place if you truly know who jesus is and what he does then you will want to honor him my friends and we should all be seeking to honor jesus for who he is regardless of our circumstances today tomorrow and beyond So I want to walk you now through four ways to honor the Holy One with what you have, tied to ultimately four reasons why he's worthy of that honor. But let's just look at these four reasons, four ways, why you might want to honor the Holy One with what you have. The first is this. Honor the Lord with your obedience, for he is in control. That's what we find those two disciples doing in verses 29 through 32. As they approach uh, Jesus and his band of disciples, as they approach these two cities known as Bethphage and Bethany, which are ultimately just, you can think of those as like suburbs of the city of Jerusalem. Uh, Bethany was roughly around two miles away from Jerusalem. So we're talking about something that's pretty close to the city of Jerusalem here. And as Jesus arrives near these cities, he commands these two disciples in verse 30 saying, Go into the village ahead of you. There, as you enter, you will find a colt tied on which no one yet has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. Now, we could imagine, kind of in these moments, what must have been running through these disciples' minds as Jesus gives them this command. He's telling them what to do and what to expect as they head off to a certain place. But, you know, they can't, with their eyes, physically see that place where Jesus is telling them to go. And when they look at Jesus, they see also, you know, that he's a man. He's God in human flesh, but he's fully man, and he's fully God. What they see with their eyes is the fully man side of that. And so surely they must have wondered in this moment, like, how does Jesus know what we're going to encounter when we go to this place where he's telling us to go? Can he see what we cannot see? Maybe they're asking themselves. Even if somehow he was able to see what they cannot see, is there not some chance that, you know, given a little time passing for their journey, that by the time they've gotten to this place where he's sending them, maybe someone would have sold that donkey. Or maybe someone would have taken it out for a walk. How does Jesus know that this donkey's owner will respond favorably if they go to take that donkey. Couldn't they be arrested, for example, for theft, for going and taking this animal? And, you know, like when we think of all these unknown circumstances that these disciples faced in this moment, it sounds a lot like the world that we're living in right now. We can't see where God is leading us in this pandemic. We don't know what we're going to find on the other side of this thing. We don't know all things. We can't see all things. So much about what tomorrow holds is simply a mystery to us. Like we can't see it. We don't know it. We don't know what to expect when we get there. But you know, we can use what we have to honor the Lord, we can honor him with our obedience, trusting that he's in control. These disciples didn't know what they would encounter they set out to obey His commands, but they trusted in His control. And so they honored the Lord with their obedience. I just want to ask, is that where you are right now, friends? Is your trust in these trying times in the Lord? Do you truly believe He's in control of all of history and in control of the circumstances that are surrounding this whole pandemic. Look, when these disciples obeyed the Lord in faith, we read in verse 32 that they found things just as he had told them they would be. Friends, our our God knows what tomorrow holds. He knows where this pandemic is headed. And so when he commands us to live by faith that leads to obedience. He does so with complete control over the circumstances of our lives. That includes all the circumstances surrounding this pandemic. And the way I see it, you really have two options here. You can either fix your eyes on the bleak news that continues to reveal to us multiple times a day the situation is getting worse, and by fixing your eyes on the news, have your hope dwindle and fade away. Or you can fix your eyes on Jesus, studying his word, seeking his will, living in obedience to his command with a hope that no pandemic can take away from you. Are you living with that sort of hope right now? Are you quick to obey even when you don't understand everything that's going on? You know, sort of Savior who orchestrates the circumstances of this world for your good and His glory, then you will be. And that's the sort of Savior I want you to know. Jesus is. He is still ruling. He is still reigning. COVID-19 has not knocked the Lord Jesus Christ off of His throne. What He has said We will find in him is still what we will find in him. Do you want lasting peace? Do you long for freedom from death and disease and sin? Jesus has promised permanent relief from all of these things. So now, honor the Lord with your obedience. For he is in control. That's the first way to honor the Holy One with what you have. Here's the second Honor the Lord with your service, for he gives you purpose. Now, you may think that I'm crazy, but I'm going to urge you here for just a moment to consider what what it would be like to be the cult of this donkey, all right? Because listen, I believe that, that this donkey, this little young donkey here in this situation is probably the closest parallel to me personally in my life before knowing Christ, That donkey was tied up. He had never served the purpose that he was made for. No one had yet sat on him. He was unbroken. He was useless at living out what he was born to do. And, you know, that's a pretty similar circumstance to the lives that many of us, myself included, experienced before we came to know Christ. We were tied up. We were bound by our sins and our shame and our regrets and our fears. We were unbroken, living for no one other than ourselves, under the control of no other person or no other thing. And we lacked purpose. Though we were created to know Christ, to enjoy fellowship with him, we at that time were separate from Christ, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world, as the Apostle Paul writes. In Ephesians chapter 2 verse 12. But something changed. The master came calling for us. He set us free from the bonds which held us in this useless sort of state. He broke the curse and he set us free from sin and shame and death. And he broke us from our fierce independence. He brought us under his control. And we found that his yoke was easy. And his burden was light. He put us to work doing what we were created to do, which is to serve Him and to honor Him, to glorify Him with our lives, yielded to His control. And friend, as you live in this coronavirus-restricted world, do you ever feel like you're living in this world with no purpose? Maybe you've lost your job or you've lost your ability to connect with others or you've lost your retirement plans that you had saved up in that 401k. And you're starting to ask in these moments, is there any real purpose in my life? Like if your hope is in the things of this world, if your hope is in the bank account and in the job and in the relationships and in the amusements and so on, you may well find yourself in these moments with your hope crashing down in these bleak moments of human history. But I want to urge you to discover a greater purpose. You were made for the Master. Look, Jesus doesn't really need you. He doesn't really need me for anything. But still, he chooses to employ us in his work. What a great honor. What a great privilege is yours and mine through Christ. You know, Jesus could have issued a command, and that cult of the donkey could have come running on its own to his side. Instead, he chose to involve his disciples in retrieving it. He could have ultimately written his message of hope in the sky for all of us to see. Instead, he has chosen to use his people to convey it. He welcomes us in. He calls us to service. He gives us a purpose. And I hope you're looking to him for your true purpose and serving him in these unique and challenging times. What an opportunity of service is available to us now, friends. Let's not miss that opportunity. Because the second way to honor the Holy One with what you have is through ultimately serving Him. Because He gives us purpose. The third way is this. Honor the Lord with your generosity, for He meets your needs. In verse 31, Jesus prepares the two disciples that he's deploying to retrieve this donkey's colt by telling them what they should say if anyone questions them about what they're doing. And he says, if anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say, the Lord has need of it. And sure enough, when they Go and find that colt, just as Jesus had told them they would, they' begin untying that colt, and verse 33 reveals that as they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, "Why are you untying the colt?" To which they replied simply and succinctly, "The Lord has need of it." You know that's all the owners of this beast needed to hear. Jesus had a use in mind for something that they possessed. And so they generously gave it over to meet that need. In Jesus' day, you know, this was like handing over the keys to your car for someone else to drive your car. Think about that. Like, would you be willing to hand over your car if the Lord had need of it? Like, like I know how you and I tend to think. Like, we're thinking, oh, you know... if Jesus comes, and I, yeah, I hear a knock on my door, and I open it up, and I see Jesus there, and he says, you know, can I borrow your car? Of course I'm going to give him my keys. I mean, it's Jesus. It's, it's the Lord of all. Of course I'm going to give him. But what if the Lord's need is expressed through one of his children who has a need? Are we still going to be as willing Because listen to this. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus speaks of the coming judgment when he, as the king, will separate the sheep from the goats. And the sheep, that is those who are welcomed into the kingdom that he has prepared for them from the foundation of the world, are those whom the king tells, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And those who are ultimately separated in this way, those who are acknowledged in this way by Jesus the King, they don't recall having done any of these things. They don't recall seeing Jesus over at Lot 2540, at the food counter, or at the grocery store, or at the homeless shelter, or in the hospital, or in the prison. They don't remember Jesus showing up at the door and looking for a drive to work. So they say, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And Jesus says in Matthew 25, 40, the king will answer and say to them, truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it, To one of the least of these brothers of mine, even to the least of them, you did it to me. Now, let's take that back to this circumstance with the owners of this donkey who generously gave when they heard that the Lord had a need of something that they possessed. You know, we should note that this donkey obviously wasn't their primary mode of transportation. This was a cult on which no one had ever sat. They had an extra car in the garage, to really kind of put that in the context of where we are in our day and age. They had more than they needed. This reminds me of what John the Baptist told individuals back when they came to him, back in Luke chapter 3, and they asked, what shall we do? To which he responded, the man who has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And he who has food is to do likewise. Now, let's, let's make this really personal in the midst of our present crisis. This, my friends, is a word against a survivalist sort of mentality. This is a word against being a prepper, so to speak. This is a word against going to the grocery store and buying up all the toilet paper and all the hand sanitizer or all the meat or all the hair coloring that you can find so that you don't have to fret in the coming days and weeks and months. This is a word that says to us if you have it now and you don't need it but you know of someone who does need it, you should give it to them. And I'll confess, this is a tough thing to do in a coronavirus sort of world. But if our faith is in the Lord, then we must be a people who are willing to give generously that which we possess if the Lord has need of it. Because we must be a people who believe that he will grant our request when we pray to him as he's commanded us to pray to him. Give us this day our daily bread. Friend, I just want to ask you, do you have a stockpile of supplies stored up for the coming weeks and months? Why don't you reach out to your neighbors and find out if the Lord may have need of those things. Then take up the faith-building practice of relying on on him to meet your needs honor the lord with your generosity for he meets your needs that's the third way to honor the holy one with what you have here's the final way honor the lord with your worship for he brings lasting peace here's where we see the crowd even though they're confused They're doing their part to honor the Lord with what they have, starting in verse 36. This is a great worship gathering of the King of kings and Lord of lords as these people have gathered in masses to proclaim who he is, to celebrate him, crying out for his salvation. This is a great worship gathering. And as Jesus approaches, riding on that donkey, people are throwing their coats on the road. That's a way of of practically saying... I'm placing myself beneath you. Like they didn't lay themselves down on the road to be trampled by the colt, but they were showing in a very practical sort of way that they're placing themselves under his authority as they take their coats and throw them out on the road where this donkey's colt will be treading. And Jesus, as his approach continues on, we read in verses 37 and 38, that when he came near the Mount of Olives, this whole the crowd began to praise God joyfully with a loud noise for all the miracles which they had seen. And they're shouting, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace, that's a key word there, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. You know, let's let's just take a step back here to, to think for a moment. Why would Jesus have chosen a donkey? Now I've already mentioned to you Zechariah 9 9, where Jesus is fulfilling this Old Testament prophecy about the Messiah riding in, coming to them on the donkey's colt. So there's a fulfillment of that that's obviously happening in this passage. And that ultimately would, would force the Pharisees' hand, by the way. The Pharisees had decided at this point that they were going to wait until after the Passover feast so they wouldn't cause an uproar. They wanted to arrest Jesus. They wanted to bring him to the point of execution, but they were planning on not doing that while these many people were gathered into this city. They're planning on waiting, but when Jesus comes riding on the donkey's colt, the people see, they understand the message that he's proclaiming to be the Messiah. He's forcing the hand so that ultimately what happens in this moment is that they must make a decision. Are we going to allow Jesus to run roughshod over our religious traditions or are we going to arrest him and bring him to trial? And that must happen if it's going to happen now, during the Passover. You see, friends, what ultimately happens there, Jesus is showing himself to be the true Passover lamb. Like all around, these people had been living with sheep for three days. These lambs were lived with for three days before the male would bring them to Jerusalem for the sacrifice at the Passover. So you can imagine the vision, crowds gathered around, Jesus is coming into town, everybody's got their little lamb around, and here comes the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, and he's forcing the Pharisees' hand. So that he can be the fulfillment even of the promise that the Passover pointed to. When Jesus' blood is shed for the sins of the nation. The sins of every man, woman, boy, and girl who would ever be forgiven. Ultimately, it was his blood which was shed to make provision that we might be ransomed. We might be forgiven. Jesus is forcing the Pharisees' hand. But there's also an understanding here that Jesus is not coming as a conquering king in this moment. Because in the ancient Middle Eastern world, leaders would ride horses if they were coming on a mission of conquering. If they were riding into war, they would ride a horse. But if they were riding a donkey, that king who was riding the donkey was conveying that he was coming in peace. And that's what Jesus is doing in these moments. And you know, this donkey, this donkey's colt had never been ridden on before. And I think there's some good significance to that. Because no one else could take this ride. No one else could do what Jesus was doing in this moment. He uniquely, as God in the flesh, was capable of doing what he was about to do. No one else could come and die in your place and mine. No one else has ever lived the sinless life that Jesus lived. No one else was ever God in the flesh reconciling the world to himself. Only Jesus could take this ride. And yet he still bore that burden he still rode that beast he still faced that cross he still died and shed his blood in your place and my place and he was still buried in that tomb because he wanted you to be saved and friends take hope Jesus loves you enough that he's come to take your place Jesus loves you enough that he has come as the righteous one for you and all your unrighteousness so that the penalty of your sin was laid on him that you might go free and take heart because Jesus didn't stay in the grave. On the third day, he arose victorious over death, over the grave, over your sin and my sin as a promise that if you will simply place your trust in Him, if you will say, I want Jesus to be the Lord of my life, I'm yielding my life into His control. My trust is in Him. If you will do that, He offers you freely, purely by His grace, the opportunity to be saved. Friends, you want to talk about lasting peace? That's lasting peace. That's peace that no coronavirus can take away from you. That's peace that no funeral service can take away from you. That's peace that only Jesus can give to you. For he says, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except by me. And Friends, I want to know, do you have that peace? If not you should know it's still available to you. If you're still breathing, if there's still breath in your lungs, if you still have the opportunity to respond, then this peace is available to you. The Bible says that whosoever will confess with his mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in his heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Not by deeds of righteousness that we've done, but by His grace, He saves us. And so, wondering, sinner, if you don't have a settled peace, if the coronavirus is crashing everything around you, then I urge you, come to Jesus. Place your everlasting trust in Him. Cry out to Him, save me now, Lord Jesus, and He'll do it. This is His delight. This is His mission. This is what He's come to do as we see in the culmination of this passage before us here today. when Jesus taught his disciples how to live in a world characterized by a lack of peace. He taught them ultimately to pray that his kingdom would come, that his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, there's peace in heaven, friends. That's what the people are crying out as Jesus comes into this city. And Jesus wants his disciples to experience his peace on earth until his eternal peace is realized in the new Jerusalem. But how are we going to experience that peace in this chaotic world? Through prayer. Through prayer. The Apostle Paul writes that when we commit every care and concern to God through prayer, the heavenly peace of God will guard our hearts and minds. That's what we read in Philippians chapter four, verses six and seven. So if you've lost your peace, get it back through prayer. Commit every troubling thought to God and receive heavenly peace in return. You know, we could all use a little bit of that heavenly peace right now. And so ultimately, I just want to urge you, honor the Lord with your worship. Because he brings lasting peace. Back in John chapter 11, we see kind of the motive behind the Pharisees. So the Pharisees come to Jesus as all this worship of him is happening. They say, Jesus, pipe those disciples down. Tell them to stop all this chaos. Tell them to be quiet. And they were concerned, according to John chapter 11... That Rome was going to come in in the midst of all this chaos, in the midst of all this hubbub, in the midst of all this celebration. And Rome was going to take away their place and their nation. We read in John 11 verses 47 and 48. Therefore the chief priests and the Pharisees convened a council. They were saying, what are we doing? For this man is performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, all men will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. You see, they were holding on to the things which they considered dear and not yielding their lives to the master. And so they sensed that they were failing when Jesus' renown continued to grow. In fact, we read about that in John 12:19, where they say to one another, "You see that you are not doing any good? Look, the whole world has gone after him." Like that for them was a moment of despair. Because their peace was resting in their status. Their peace was resting in their position. Their peace was not resting in something that would endure beyond the grave. And ultimately, Jesus responds to those Pharisees. Last time we see them appear in Luke's gospel, by the way, he responds to them and says, If these remain silent, even the rocks will cry out. One writer I read quipped that if these became silent, it would lead to a veritable rock concert. Why would the stones, why would the rocks have cried out in this moment? Because God didn't want the children of Israel to miss this Messiah. And he still doesn't want people to miss this Messiah. How can you cry out to a world in need? That hope has truly come. Like, friends, this world in its midst of vast need needs to know that the Messiah has come. That there is a persevering hope. And our worship, our exalting Him, our finding avenues, maybe it's through your Facebook social media feed. Maybe it's through a phone call to a friend or a neighbor, a coworker. Maybe there's someone who needs to hear from you right now. Words of who God has sent us. Of who Christ is. Of how they can find a steadfast and sure hope. Because the world needs to know that this Messiah has come. And friends, don't leave it to the rocks. Like I think there's so often we just wait and we expect God to do his own thing. When he's given us the privilege of being a part of this thing. Don't wait for the stones. Don't wait for the rocks to cry out. You be the one who lifts him up in worship. And if you don't know him, he he doesn't want you to miss his Messiah either. Bishop George Battle appeared and gave the closing benediction at the funeral of Billy Graham when that great preacher of God, passed away. This minister who was from the African Methodist Episcopal Zion Church in Charlotte, North Carolina, he confessed as he stepped forward to lead in this prayer, or really right after he kind of gave the benediction, this speaking of good tidings. He confessed he didn't want to mess it up because he wouldn't get another chance. And so he asked for the audience's help. And Bishop Battle then stated, what he'd been instructed to say: "Please remain standing until you're told to do the next thing." It was a moment of levity as the crowd really broke into gentle laughter before the bagpipe recessional to Doctor Graham's gravesite led them. Such words, though, are fitting for every Christ follower, especially in these trying times. Please. Remain standing until you're told to do the next thing. Friends, let's live by faith. Let's live as those who honor the King. Let's live as those who rejoice in who He is and what He has done. Would you pray with me wherever you are? Father, as we close this service, We thank you for your word, which shows us that you've sent a rescuer on our behalf. God, I pray no one who's tuned in right now would miss the message, would miss the opportunity that comes from knowing that the Savior of the world has come. And that we have a great privilege, a great opportunity to serve Him. Father, if there's a need for someone to come to know You for a first time, I pray You would draw them by Your Spirit to everlasting peace in these moments, that they might trust in Jesus, that they might cry out, Save me, Lord Jesus. And for those of us who are among the saved, those of us who are children of God, those of us who've yielded our lives to Christ. I pray you just open our hearts and our minds to considering how you want us to serve in these moments, to opening us up to the possibility that we would be on mission for you even as so many other things are shut down around us. And, oh, Lord, we just pray that we would bring glory and honor to the one who deserves it all. Christ Jesus our Lord, it's in his worthy name that we do pray. Amen. Just a quick reminder, uh, we are not taking offering here at the church, but you can go to our website, nvf.life forward slash give, if you would like to support the Lord's work here in this body. For those of you who are regulars here, uh, we